Hello, and welcome to Talk Bookish to Me, the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I'm joined by Lena for the first book discussion of the year. We're here to share our thoughts and feelings after reading Haven by Emma Donahue. Keep in mind that this episode is best listened to after you've read the novel yourself. However, the first bit will be spoiler-free. Hi, my name is Lena. My YouTube channel is Lena's Bookshelf, and it's also my Instagram handle. I read mostly thrillers, but I also read a lot of 20th century historical fiction. I enjoy memoirs, psychology, nonfiction, etc. And I throw in a bit of romance and horror in there as well. I'm so excited to join Gwen today for this episode. I've been a loyal listener of the podcast since its infancy. And when Gwen asked me to do this book discussion with her, I jumped at the chance. I love that you put in there 20th century (laughs) historical (laughs) (laughs) because we're going back a bit with this one now. Talk Focus to Me is a bi-weekly podcast, but did you know if you join Patreon, you gain instant access to over 30 extra episodes? For $5 a month, you get many reviews of every single book I read each month. And for $7 a month, you get monthly reading wrap-ups, bonus episodes, just like the one you're listening to right now. Plus, you'll get exclusive access to the Night Owl Book Club. To discover all the perks, click the link in the show notes. So today we're talking about Haven by Emma Donahue, and this book follows three men who vow to leave the world behind as they set out in a small boat for an island their leader has seen in a dream, with only their faith to guide them. In 7th century Ireland, a scholar and priest called Art has a dream telling him to leave the sinful world behind. Taking two monks, Trion and Cormac, with him, he rows down the River Shannon in search of an isolated spot on which to found a monastery. Drifting out into the Atlantic, these three men find an impossibly steep, bare island inhabited by thousands of birds, and they claim it for God. In such a place, what will survival mean for them? When I was planning for this year for the book discussions, I knew I wanted to focus on backlist books because previous years I've done pretty much new releases and I wanted to focus on books that were more readily available for listeners to get their hands on and I also tried to line up the books with the Talk Bookish to Me 12 month reading challenge which you can check out that challenge on Instagram at Talk Bookish Podcast or on the story graph linked in the show notes and March's prompt was to read a book by an Irish author so the first one that popped in my head when I thought Irish author I was like Emma Donahue so that's why I chose this book. So Emma Donahue was born in Dublin in 1969, and she now lives in Canada. She writes fiction, novels, short stories, contemporary and historical, as well as drama for both screen and stage. Room was a New York Times best-selling book in 2010, and it was also a finalist for the Man Booker Awards, as well as the Commonwealth and Orange Prizes. That book has sold between 2 and 3 million copies in 40 different languages. Donahue was also nominated for an Academy Award for the 2015 adaptation starring Brie Larson. She's also co-wrote the screenplay for the film of her 2016 novel, The Wonder, starring Florence Pugh, which released on Netflix last year. For more information, you can visit emmadonahue.com. In addition to Haven, Donahue has written several other novels, more than I knew, quite honestly, um, most notably and recognizable, of course, being Room, Wonder, and Pull of the Stars. Have you read anything else by her? And will you read any of her future releases based on your experience with Haven? So I have read Room, and I've also seen the movie adaptation. Um, and I actually read Room because I had a prompt for a book discussion, and we had to read banned books. And so I decided to read Room because it's actually been banned in three different states. 
Um, I've also read The Pull of the Stars, which is, well, I haven't read it yet. It's on my TBR shelf, but it's a historical fiction set in a hospital. I picked it up on a whim at a used bookstore because I was leafing through it and a note fell out of the book that said, I bought this copy because I was 119th in line for it at the library, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And honestly, after seeing that, I was too intrigued to leave the book behind. So I'm hoping to get to that later this year. Other than that, I don't really foresee myself seeking out her other books, though I will say she definitely writes a wide variety of books. The only other book I have officially read for, by her is Room, which I feel like is her most popular novel, at least in the US. I did one of those apps that summarize an entire book in a few minutes, and I did that with Wonder. Um, so even though I haven't technically read the book, I still know what's going on in the book. And I do want to give the adaptation a try. However, <laughs> I don't like her writing. So it's just not a style that works for me. So I think I will forgo reading any other books by this author. Who would you recommend Haven to? And are there any other books that you can compare it to? I would recommend Haven to those that like old world historical fiction, or those who have an interest in Irish heritage. I would also recommend this to anyone that enjoyed The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, which is a Christian allegory novel from the 1600s. Haven reminded me of The Pilgrim's Progress at some points, or I would also just recommend it to someone who has an interest in exotic birds. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so I definitely do not have a book comparison, but I will say if you like isolated stories of survival or old Irish tales concerning a hero's sea journey to the other world, you might enjoy this book. Might. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's go ahead and move on to the characters. And you guys, like if you're listening and you haven't read, feel free to come back and listen to this when you have actually read the book yourself. Or if you just don't care and want to continue listening, that's fine too. But we're moving on with the characters. Were there any characters you specifically liked or disliked? Honestly, I had a hard time liking any of the characters. I didn't find them very likable. But I think a big part of that is because I had a hard time relating to them. Whenever this happens, it's almost like a literary barrier between myself and the characters. I think Trion was the least dislikable. <laughs> I definitely disliked Art. I did not enjoy being in his head, and I felt like he was a little bit pompous and judgmental. Yeah, of the three main characters, I think Trion was my favorite. They were young and spunky and trying to do what they believed was best for the group, but they also balanced that with obedience, which is important in the life of a monk. I really disliked Art more and more as the story went on. Like you said, being in his head was horrific. Um, I felt like he relied on Triana Cormac to do the hard day-to-day -day labor. And even though he was the prior, so he's like the leader of the group and said that they were on this journey together, he sat back and ordered them around a lot. What about the setting? What did you think about it? It was mainly set in like Ireland, the Shannon River, and this island that I don't know how to say. Skilig Michael, I think but we'll just go with that. <laughs> I think the atmosphere was definitely a big part of the story, which I was fine with because honestly, a monk's life is pretty drab. So there definitely needed to be um, some beautiful atmosphere. So I liked that Emma Donahue used that atmosphere to spice up the story. And overall, I thought it was beautiful setting, but um, not really an island that I would want to visit. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Um, so the island used in the book is a real place. And if you look at the picture of the island on the front cover of the book, it matches what it looks like from a distance in real life too. So despite being able to look at real life pictures of the island, I still had the hardest time picturing like things that were going on and like, 
I don't know, just while I was reading it, I couldn't really picture it, I think, because so much of the like flora and fauna and the various birds discussed throughout the text were foreign to me, like all those birds they were naming. I was like, what kind of bird is this? Like, I've never even heard of this. So I did a Google search for a few of the birds. And this auk bird, the AUK bird is actually extinct um, as of the 19th century. And the other bird that I looked up that was talked about a lot, um, it kind of looked like a seagull. So I was like, why didn't they just say a gull, you know, <laughs> like make it easy on me. But so I didn't look up really the pictures of the the like flowers or plants or grass or like whatever else they were talking about because I was like I just don't have time to look up every single thing but like I just couldn't picture it because it's obviously foreign. Yeah the only bird that I recognized was a puffin which looks kind of like a penguin um, only because my dad had a friend that loved puffins and she had them all over her house. That's the only reason that I know what a puffin is. I've never actually seen one in real life. Yeah, that's interesting. So as always, I really do believe that the first chapter is important in grabbing the reader's attention and setting the scene for what's to come. What did you think of the first chapter? I think I was biased toward art from the beginning because of his just haughty responses to the abbot or the, the head guy at the monastery. For a monk, he sure was casting quite a bit of judgment on others. I almost wonder if Emma Donahue meant to do that right at the beginning, and I tend to think that she did, knowing now what actually ends up happening to him. Yeah, you make a good point. I definitely believe she started building the way she wanted us to feel about each of the characters from the very beginning. Um, not only did the first chapter introduce us to the characters, but it told us about the dream, which was in the synopsis. So we knew it was going to happen. I'm glad she didn't like stretch it out, you know, and we set the three monks on their way, you know, for their journey. I wasn't loving it at that point. I wasn't hating it. It's just like, okay, this is what I read in the synopsis. So I was like, fine. Moving on to the pacing and plot, any thoughts as far as that? Honestly, I found my thoughts drifting a lot while reading this, and I ended up having to go back to certain parts to reread them, especially since some of the description was so dense. I felt like the plot was down with a lot of facts about birds that, frankly, no one really asked for. <laughs> and um, they also spent a lot of time talking about scripture and quoting scripture without giving much background context. As someone who was raised in a very strict religious upbringing and now is kind of deconstructing from it, I feel like some of the quotes could be misleading to someone who isn't well-versed in Christian theology. As far as the plot, I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of plot, and the description kind of carried the book, but I kind of knew that going into it. How much plot can you have with three men stuck on a deserted island? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so the book that I read, I have the hardcover book, and it was only 252 pages, and I liked the length for this story. Um, the standard pacing, it wasn't fast paced, it wasn't really slow paced, it just kind of was what it was. It wasn't page turning. It wasn't necessarily like hard to continue reading either. Um, the story is set around the year 600, <laughs> where three Irish monks vow to leave the world that they know behind and set out to find that found this monastery on this island their leader saw in a dream with only blind faith to guide them and drifting out into the Atlantic, they find an impossibly steep bare rock <laughs> inhibited by tens of thousands of birds and claim it for God. Um, so some of the key moments I remember are Art having the dream and discussing it with the abbot, obviously. Um, the small attack before they arrived at their destination, which I was like, why was that even in there? Because nothing became of it. Um, their discussion of why they were seeking this island. And on page 53, it says, in seeking out this island, we're fleeing not contagion of the flesh, but of the spirit. Um, and then 
Trian and Art discussing eating the birds and we shouldn't eat more than we need though, surely father. And he says, what else are they for? And I was so pissed off. Like they're living their own life. Like, um, and then Cormac's leg, leg injury. I was so worried he was going to die because it sounded very infected. Like it gangrene infected. It was disgusting. Um, the part that really, I'm a vegetarian, y'all. So this part was super hard for me when they started using the birds as Bule because Art refused to let them leave the island to trade. I was livid. I mean, I was livid because it, I, not that I'm justifying at all, but let's say that they didn't have a way to leave the island. That's one thing, okay? You got to try to survive by all means necessary. But to have a way to leave the island and maybe seek out another source of fuel and then just to be like, no, we're not leaving. We're just going to burn the birds. I was not a fan. I was not I a fan. I knew that you were going to say and something about that. As soon as I read that part, I was like, <laughs> oh, Gwen is going to have things to say about this. I was so upset. I was so upset. Like, I just... And then there's the part where there's more. It just, he just made me so infuriating because you could see the tree on Cormac were like, okay, we swore our loyalty. We're supposed to do what he says. He's like our master, basically. We're following his lead. But like, they also knew that it wasn't right. And they were trying to like, but we can leave. And he was like, no, we're just going to burn the birds. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, okay. When Trian dropped the red ink and Art told him to use his own blood as a substitute. Absolutely not. I was just no. And then with Trian's identity. I'm not sure how I feel about that, to be completely honest. At first I was like, oh, plot twist. And then I thought, why does it matter? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Right. I just don't really see how it was supposed to be that shocking. Right. I just, I guess we'll get into it in a little bit, a little bit, but I just, I don't know if they put it in there, like, look at me being inclusive or if it was like, cause what did it have to do with the story? It just, I don't know. Yeah. It was so, kind of like, okay, anyway. cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So now let's talk about the writing and discuss some of the themes and topics explored. So some of the ones that I, or the main ones that I picked out of the story, um, faith, obedience, isolation, and survival were the main themes and topics that I pulled from the story. Obedience tends to go in line with faith in some regards. Triana Cormac are released from their vows by the abbot of the monastery. And obviously faith because of the characters. I mean, they're monks. Um, so art of famed scholar and priest and then the two monks Triana Cormac um, art having a prophetic dream the message from God and the journey itself mimics the old Irish and Irish Christian tales about travel from the river Shannon to the uncharted islands in the ocean off the west coast of Ireland these tales were linked to the practice of Irish monks as early as the fifth century going on pilgrimage seeking isolation from the world um, and then they pledge themselves to art on page 22. It says monks should be as steady as rock and humble as slaves. And then going into the isolation, 
Um, of course, it's kind of like they're going to this isolated island. So survival on an island, isolation, all of that. It says on page 53, remember to brother, the prior turns his gaze on them like a flaring torch and seeking out this island where fleeing, not contagion of the flesh, but of the spirit. We're taking refuge from the nine evils, pride, vanity, anger, envy, arrogance, lust, gluttony, apathy, and sadness. And then again, on page 55, the farther from men, the closer to God. There was lots of that, like the more we do this and there like oh this mountain's higher let's go on this island because it's higher to the heavens which means we're closer to god um and then obviously the survival um it's seen at the start of the journey while they're loading up the boat to take them on their journey because they're concerned about the weight and making it to their destination so they're taking as little as possible because god will provide um them with everything that they need apparently and then of course once they arrive on the island it's isolated there's nobody else there there's no buildings um and they must literally start habitating on an inhibitable inhibitable place inhabitable <laughs> i can never say that word yeah honestly when they were talking about um sharing clothes i was like okay how small is this boat like this boat is so small <laughs> that you can't bring an extra set of clothes with you you just have to share three sets of clothes between the three of you that seems like a bit much <laughs> also, I'm not really sure what they were thinking was going to happen when they got to the island. Like they tried building the shelter and everything and they tried building like a chapel. But who's going to go there? Who wants to travel for two weeks to this desolate place filled with birds? But not only that, how are they if they're not allowed to leave because Art was not letting them leave? How are they going to get word out? Right. Who knows that they're there other than the people at that one monastery? And how are they going to get them there? I don't know. I know. I how are they going to give them directions? <laughs> a homing pigeon? I don't know. <laughs> send a note, attach the note to the little pigeon's foot and send it out and then see who shows up. I don't know. I mean, weird. So I felt like I spent so much of my reading experience feeling bad for Trian and Cormac. Both of them were trying their hardest to make the best out of a pretty crappy situation that was basically forced upon them. They didn't sign up for Art's vision quest. They were voluntold essentially it definitely speaks volume to their character as humans but i also just felt so bad for them for example yeah. they would chastise themselves for things like eating too much when they were basically starving because they were living on nuts mm -hmm. and seeds at one point cormac felt proud of his work and then said the longest prayer he could think of to repent for being proud so as sad. if nobody <laughs> should be proud of the work that they do um, another example was when Art said, pain is a blessing and a gift from God. It strengthens the soul. It made me so sad. <laughs> All of this mm -hmm. made me think how mentally strong you would have to be to be a monk, not just physically, but mentally. There's so many rules, regulations, and just simple human things that can lead to you being heavily chastised. Um, okay, so what did you think about the final chapter? <laughs> so it just made me feel even more pity for Trion and Cormac. At least Cormac was able to see through Art as the prior and see Art the hot mess. I was really hoping for them to come out of this unscathed, but it almost felt like they were watching a train wreck and just couldn't look away. But I became Cormac's biggest fan when he finally stood up to Art and realized how corrupt the whole thing had become. I wanted to just yell, yes! I think Art started grasping at straws, trying to keep them on his side any way he could, and it was just failing and failing and failing. 
The last chapter also showed how fiercely Art trusted in his own dream, which is honestly pretty impressive because I feel like I can't trust my dreams at all. It's always a mishmash of different people, different places, and usually they make no sense. So I would never trust my dreams. <laughs> I know. I was like, what makes this dream special? <laughs> like, you know, um, like I said, this last chapter, it was just savage. It was bleak. Um but I love, like you said, that Cormac, he's just done with Art's madness at this point because he continues with his God will provide speech. And Cormac is like, he's provided us a boat. <laughs> and he considers, is their master losing his wits? Um, Trion is reduced to using his own blood in place of the red ink for a copy in the scriptures. And like, who signed on for him to do that anyway? Like, he didn't even know how to do it. He wasn't even trained. And he just kind of like, again, Art was just forcing these people to do things that they had no idea what or how to do. Um, and then when he doodled in the margins, Art forces him into the freezing ocean as penance, like he knows the answer. And then that's when Cormac realizes that Trion is androgynous and then Cormac is immediately accepting of this and Art is not. Are we surprised? No, we are not. Um, so Cormac realizes that it's never going to get better, that he and Trian are no longer safe. He tries, he still, he realizes how bad it is, but he still tries to reason with Art. But in the end, on page 246, quotes, I release myself from your vows. I am not your man, but Christ's. And I was like, Thank you. <laughs> um, as Cormac and Trion sail away, Art still believes that he's doing the right thing by remaining behind. A bastion of faith, a sentry post where he will man the outer frontier of Christendom. Oh, such a place it'll be now. No one and nothing to bar his way to heaven. And I was like, dude, are you for real right now? I just... That uh, ending is like the was... original castaway. <laughs> <laughs> for real though I'm waiting for him to get a coconut and turn it into Wilson <laughs> yeah um, like that volleyball that sm smashed volleyball um, so final thoughts what could have made it better or is there anything else you want to like touch on or talk about um, the last chapter I reread along with a few other sections because I felt like there was a lot that I missed and a lot to process and some things that I didn't understand the first time around this book is definitely not for the faint of heart. It's dense, very descriptive, and has pretty unlikable characters. It's also very heavy in old world theology and just old world literature in general. I kept forgetting that this book was published in 2022 because the language was so similar to some of the old classics that I read in high school. Overall, this is not a light palate cleanser type of read. It definitely takes a lot of thought, processing, and attention to detail. One thing I did like was the chapter titles. It might seem weird, but they felt very poetic and gave a little bit of foreshadowing into what was to come. I don't really know how to describe it. They just seemed to fit so well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, a few things that I wanted to touch on, which might have been better to say at the beginning, but I think non-religious people are going to be at a disadvantage because there's lots of terms and phrases and even themes that you might be unfamiliar with. I mean, not that that's a bad thing. I think it will just be an adjustment and you might have to like look up things and piece it together as you go. Um, and I just don't think it's the most accessible book of hers to read and enjoy. So I wouldn't say like, hey, start because sometimes I tell people when they're like, oh, where should I start with you know, whatever author, I'm like, we'll start with their newest book. I wouldn't really say that here. <laughs> um, the second point 
I wanted to make was that this is definitely the furthest back in history that I've ever read outside of like school or a classroom or anything like that. It was funny and eye-opening to hear the characters believe that the earth was flat. That was on page 67. Or they were like asking what the stars were and someone like explained to them what the star was. They were like, are those just like holes up there? And I was like, wow, we're, there was a time in history where like people were really not knowing what these things were and were really trying trying to like figure this stuff out. And of course, now we have so much like knowledge about all of these things that it seems funny hearing someone talk about that, you know, and that's, it was those type of things that I was like, wow, I'm really far back in history right now. Especially when they said that the earth was flat. And then one of the other guys said, I heard someone say that the earth is like the shape of an apple. And they were like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on, like I was mentioning earlier, is that vegans and vegetarians might have a rough go with this because lots and lots of birds die. And it does talk about snapping their necks, gutting them, all of that fun stuff. And like I mentioned earlier, they don't just kill them for food, but they use them for fuel as well. Um, okay, so now comes the hardest part because going into this, we're gonna talk about our final rating and how we overall enjoyed the book. I don't know what I wanna rate this book. So what do you have to say? Your final rating and what you thought of the book overall. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna give this book a two out of five stars. I felt like the description was just too weighty. Um, and while I usually like character-driven stories, there wasn't enough overall character development for me to connect to. I did appreciate that there wasn't a happily ever after, because honestly, I'm not a huge fan of happily ever after stories, but I also couldn't really think of another way that the book could have ended. It kind of panned out the way I expected it to. Overall, I found myself counting down the pages until it was done because it felt like a lot of doom and gloom without many redeeming qualities, and I was ready to move on to something happier after it. I don't know that I'm the target audience for this book, but I definitely can appreciate that Emma Donahue has such a wide variety of books, from an ancient monk survival story to a kidnapping story told from the perspective of a six-year-old to a 20th century pandemic from the perspective of a mental hospital, Emma Donahue is definitely not afraid to get out of her comfort zone and tackle things that are just so vastly different from each other. This book was also out of my comfort zone, 100%, but I like that it challenged me to look at my reading a different way and to really study the description a different way. Also, the cover is just gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. The cover is gorgeous. Um, and like you, this was definitely outside my comfort zone because I don't even read a lot of historical fiction at all. Um, I also hate <laughs> capital H, capital A, capital T, capital E, hate religion in books. But I knew that that's what this book was. So I was prepared for that aspect of it. So I'll just start with saying that. And I didn't know what to rate it. I thought maybe Lena will have something to say that like, you know, switches my thoughts. Um, yeah, there's just, I just thought it was okay. Like it was a book I read. Am I ever going to think back on it? No, it's not earth shattering. It's not something I would ever want to reread. I think I'm rating it two out of five stars as wow, well. Wow, we agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little backstory on Lane and I, we always like, not always, but for the majority of the books we read, she'll love it, I'll hate it, 
vice versa, you know. Um, so I'm glad we found one we agree on. We both did not like it. Um, but thanks for reading it with me. Uh, that concludes our discussion of Haven by Emma Donahue. Thank you for reading and discussing it with me, Elena. It's always nice to get another perspective. Thanks so much for having me. You always have a way of pulling me out of my comfort zone and challenging me in my reading. And I really appreciate that a lot. Uh, One of your recommendations last year ended up being one of my favorite books of the year, even though it was a Um, (laughs) sci-fi. So I definitely will take recommendations from you and continue to, even though I didn't like this book, I'll continue to take your recommendations. Um, It's easy to keep picking up the same book or same type of book over and over again, but it's nice to change it up every now and again. And it's also nice to have a friend to discuss it with. I mean, girl, there were so many times I was like, why am I reading this? I'm only reading it for the podcast. (laughs) Talk Focus to Me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions, recommendations, and literary topics galore. Rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to tag at TalkBookishPodcast and at LavenderMud in your listening selfies and stories on Instagram. The link for Patreon is in the show notes along with Lena's social media. Until next time, happy reading!